of a series that I called uh, Growing Pains, or When Disciples Fail. We are in Matthew chapter 26. So if you have Bibles, you can please turn with me to Matthew 26. Uh, we are going to look a little bit fragmented. Uh, we're going to look at verses 47 and, and through to 58, and also uh, verses 69 to 75. And the reason being is I want to kind of look at the situation that Peter has found himself in with uh, his denying Christ and, and, and look at his life and what God has done through him in just a matter of weeks. It's just, it's amazing. So I want to look at that and finish up this sermon. And then after that, maybe in the next few weeks, we'll look at the trials of Christ, which is the part that we're leaving out. So with that, we'll go to the first slide. <clears throat> a brief reminder of where we are last week, and this is a two-part you know, series. Um, we did talk about earlier how Jesus wo- told the disciples he's fully aware of, of their own personal failures. And uh, we talked about how failure, that's just a kind of part of life. It's part of growing up. And so what we ought to do is not to, um, you know, well, what we ought not to do is to fear failing and, 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 and cause that to, to make us, to stifle us, to put us into a rut to make us mediocre or apathetic, you know, to not care, to not want to grow, to not give, you know what I'm saying, to, to, to quit on our calling, to quit on those things that God's called us to do. And these disciples are finding themselves in that situation where God's calling them to do something, but yet there's things that are scary, things that are f- frightening them. But he says, however, you are going to be frightened and you will, as he says here, the shepherd will be stricken and the sheep will be scattered. And that's his disciples. They're going to be scattered because of fear. But, but, they're, but they're not going to end with that. That's not going to be the end for them. They're going to grow up. And they're going to use this failure, this personal failure, to grow up. Um, and it says here, you know, uh, of course, disciples, no, 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 Jesus, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Peter, oh, no, 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 not me, says Peter. And the other disciples, oh, no, 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 not me. You're, certainly God, not me. And certainly Christ, not me. I will never fail you. And that's kind of where we left off at. And so this week we're going to look more at how they did actually fail him. But it's okay because Christ isn't done with them. He's working in their lives. So it says in verse 45, just again to rewind a wee bit, then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping? As you remember, Jesus wanted to go pray. He wanted to spend some time in prayer. So he asked his friends, the disciples, please just look out for me. I'm going to be arrested soon. So just please look out so I won't be startled. I want to pray. I want to spend this time with God. I'm going to die soon. I want to pray. Please, guys, can you stay awake and watch my back? you know, as friends, and they couldn't, they were tired, so they fell asleep. So Jesus comes back, and he says, okay, wake up, sleepyheads. <laughs> Are you still resting? Come on, we little babies, wake up, come on. Look, the hour has come. The thing that he was wanting them to do, okay, Jesus, they're coming. Instead, he has to do it, but then again, he's Jesus. He's aware of everything. There's no, no surprise for Jesus. He knew they were coming. Come on, guys, I'm going to be betrayed. Here comes my portrayer just now. Let us 
go. Not let us run, not let us hide, let's go. It's time for me to be handed over. Because you see, Jesus knew, and we talked about this weeks ago, that he was a prepared lamb. He's a lamb of God. Like that Passover lamb that was meticulously prepared for for the Passover. Jesus is the ultimate Passover lamb who was prepared. He is prepared. He spent some time in prayer, being prepared. His mind is prepared. His heart is prepared. He knows what's going to have to happen. And sure, it hurts. But he's ready to go. Let's go. Time is now. Next slide. So again, what he prayed, you know, not my will, not my will. And we as disciples have to ask, or tell ourselves rather, not my will. We have to discipline ourselves to say, not my will. There's another will that's important than our will. Newsflash. Our will isn't the ultimate important thing in life. It's God's will. So not my will. And of course, the disciples here are scared and they react. And so sometimes we react. When something scary happens, when we're confronted with the trial, sometimes we react. And that reaction may not be the right thing. So let's look at these verses and see. And just, I kind of want to read this and pretend like we're there in the garden with the disciples. Like we were a part of that group. Let's just look at it as if we're third-party observers. So it starts in verse 47 by saying this. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve. We know Judas. We talked about him. And we're not done with him. We're going to see him more in the future. Just briefly, though. But Judas, the betrayer, he came with a, you know, and with him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. It's kind of like a motley group of militia, if you will. These tough guys showing up. Jesus, his disciples. Obviously, one of his disciples had a sword because he did something really foolish here. But the reality is, did you capture Jesus? What, 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 what? What are they afraid of? Why are they so armed? But anyways. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal. And the signal was this. The one I kiss is the man that you're to arrest. So then going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Again, Jesus is ready. He's prepared. Enough of this. Do what you're going to do. He's ready. Jesus is prepared. He knows what he has to do. He's the prepared lamb. He's ready for the cross. That's his calling. Not not Jesus. His his, his fleshly will, if you will, maybe his earthly desire would be to avoid the pain, to avoid the embarrassment, to avoid the persecution, to avoid death. But he said, if this cup, if this cup, this, this, this thing that you called me to do, if it's necessary, which he knew full and well is necessary, then again, not my will, but your will. Again, the disciples have to remember that as well. It's not their will. Again, Jesus is interested in running and hiding and fighting. And so, erroneously, one of the men, one of the disciples stepped forward um, and seized Jesus and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions, one of the fellows who were with Jesus, reached in for a sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And so the question is this, is this what God's will is? Is, he, is God wanting at this point to start a revolution? Is he wanting to make war? Does, is Jesus wanting to make war with Rome and with the high priests? No, that's not God's will. God's will is that the lamb submit to the authority of Rome and the authority of the Sanhedrin so that he may be put to death to be that sacrifice. You see, what we see here, rather, 
is the will of these disciples who think this is, in their reaction, this is what God wants. But they're also pre-Pentecostal disciples, bear in mind. They have not yet received the Holy Spirit. So they are more likely to make mistakes. But the cool thing is, we're going to see what disciples look like after the Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit comes. And oh, the difference is major. So the next slide. So if it's not our will, it's his will. Not my will, but your will. And so going on, Jesus said in verse 24, sorry, 52, put your sword back. Put your sword back. That's a nice little impulsive reaction. You're so passionate and dramatic and all, but you know what? That's not God's will. Brave you may be, but really you're just scared and stupid. That's not God's will. God's will is that Jesus do the ultimate brave thing, the ultimate courageous thing, and that is to submit to the cross. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Again, is Jesus, is God's will to cause a revolution, to start war? Is that what God's will is? No, it's not. So put your swords away. It's not time for war. It's not time for revolution. Put your sword back. It's the time for the cross. Do you, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That's a lot of angels, by the way, guys. That's an army of angels. And, and, we're, and if you look at the Old Testament, see what the angels, a single angel is able to do. It's pretty scary. He can call down 12 legions of angels. It's a huge army. Now, we're going to look at kind of how powerful and how real this picture is in a moment. So look, Jesus has at his disposal the ability to call the enforcements to come in, or the reinforcements rather, to come in and to deal with this motley crew of clubbed men. You know what I'm saying? He can handle it. If there was war was the situation, he wouldn't be calling these fishermen to pull up the swords. He'd call out real warriors, the angels to come and do the work for him. But he didn't. Because again, it's not my will, it's God's will. The scriptures need to be fulfilled. God has already said way back when that this needs to happen. Scriptures say this is what needs to happen. Jesus submitting to the scriptures, submitting to God's word, submitting to God his will. It must happen this way. In that hour, Jesus sits the crowds. Am I leading a rebellion? What's up with all these clubs and swords? What's up with this? He could just come and say, come on, it's time to go, die. I'm ready. Because he's not fighting, he's not resisting. Am I re leading a rebellion? Am I starting a revolution? That you've come out with these swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I said the temple, what did Jesus do? He didn't come to do nothing else but to teach about God's kingdom, God's will, God. He sent his Messiah to save the world. That's what, he, that's what Jesus' mission was. That's what, well, that's what he did. That was his ministry. He was healing, he was teaching. Of course, his mission is, is before him, you know, to, to be complete on the cross. I was here every day, you never arrested me. What did I do wrong? Why all of a sudden now you want to come and arrest me with clubs and swords? But this has all taken place, guys. So again, we talked weeks and weeks ago about being a tool. Bad tools, negative tools, positive tools. We're all a tool for God. It depends if you want to be a negative one or if you want to be a positive one, right? So here, these people are just fulfilling the will of God. They're fulfilling the will of God. They're there. This, is, this has to happen, guys. You don't need the swords and shields, but if you want to bring them, on you go. This has to happen. I have to go to the cross. This is, again, is for the sake of the prophecies, the scriptures. Next slide, please. Yeah, this reminds me, this, 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 this potential power of the angels reminds me of a story in 2 Kings 
with, um, with Elisha. Um, the king of Aram didn't like Elisha because he sought everything. And he was afraid of the power, this prophetic power of Elisha. And he knew everything that the king was going to do. So he was like really frustrated with his abilities, his spiritual abilities. And so he wanted to capture him. He wanted to go and, and, and yeah, take him away, deal with the problem. And so this is the king of Aram about Elisha. And he says this in 2 Kings 6, 13 onwards. Go, find out where he is, this Elisha guy. The king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dotham. The spies found him. He's there in Dotham. So then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force, his army. So very similar. Here comes the army to capture Elisha. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the men of God got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. So this is Elisha's servant. He goes out and he sees this army. And he's scared. So kind of like the disciples. Here comes an army. But then again, God's will is a little bit different here. In, in Jesus' situation, his will was to be captured. But in Elisha's situation, he wasn't to be captured. You know what I'm saying? It's a similar but different. So here's the servant looking. Here comes, oh, a really scary army coming out. Certainly we can't, we can't avoid this. What are we going to do? It's just the two of us. And so he says, oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? But then what does Elisha say? Don't be afraid. The prophet answered, don't be afraid. Those who are with us, okay, those who are with us, who's with us? The servant might be thinking, you know, it's just us too. Who's with us? Who do you, what, what's going on here, Elisha? Are you crazy? What do you mean those who are with us are more than those who are with them? Do you not see how many people are out there? See, Jesus could have said the same thing to his disciples if it was God's will. Those who are with us are more than these motley group with the clubs and swords. And, and I believe that there was a mighty angel, forest legion of angels there with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane that were probably very sad about the situation, but were also to submit to the God's will. Come on, Jesus. In the, but, but they knew. They knew the order was going to come because they, they understand the pecking order, right? God is the boss. We need to follow God's will. We are ready. We'll take these guys out like that. We can do it. The potential power is there. But they submitted. They restrained themselves. So then Elijah prayed, open the eyes, Lord, so that he, the servant fellow, can see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So again, imagine what this army thought as they watched Jesus being arrested. Come on, come on, God. We just want to have a, can we just take a few of them out just for the fun of it? Oh, come on. How, what, but this, not about our will. Not about my will. It's about God's will. This is for God. This is his plan. This is, this is his this is his will. This is what he wants. This is what has to happen. This is necessary, this cross. We don't like seeing it. We don't like watching it, but we will submit to it. So let's look at Peter for the next 10 minutes, next 10, 15 minutes. Because I really want to look at Peter, because again, this is about disciples growing, failing, messing up, but learning from our mistakes and growing from them, growing through them. Peter, Jesus told them, remember guys last week, Peter told them, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, oh, no, 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 not me. I'm Peter, don't you know? Not me, I don't do that stuff. Yeah, you are, Peter. But it's okay, I still love you, Peter. You're going to fail, you're going to blow it. I still love you, I'm going to use you. 
I'm going to grow you up. And you know what? He grows up. In a matter of weeks, we see Peter change 360. I want to look at that just now, guys. So it goes on to say, in, back in Matthew 26, starting in verse 56, that all the disciples deserted him and fled. So that's what happened to the disciples. They did fail. They deserted him. They fled. They left. They couldn't even sit there to support Jesus. They were afraid. They ran away. But Jesus knew they were going to do it. He knew it. Those who arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance. And again, some of the commentators speculate why at a distance. Should he be close? Should he have been there? But you know, I'm not going to speculate about it. Because you know what? He was there. I, I like, and that's, I, that's why I call Peter the observer. He was watching to see what was happening. That's what the Bible says. What was his intention? What was he trying to do? I mean, he, I mean, someone. I don't know if it was him or someone else who pulled out the sword, but someone already pulled out the sword and they figured out, no, that's not what the plan is. But, but what's going on? So Peter's probably very curious at this point. What's happening? What's going to happen? So he's watching, he's observing. But look, in fact, it's very clear that there's reasons to see. He wants to see the outcome. He wants to see what is happening. What's Jesus going to do? What are these high priests and these other you know, elders, the, the religious you know, elders, what are they going to do? He wants to see what the outcome is. That's, that's what he's there for. He just wants to see what's up. Inquiring minds want to know, <laughs> Peter being one of them. So Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. So he's right there, really close, but not too close. You know, at a distance. He entered, he sat down with the guards to see the outcome. So again, he's with the guards, he's with the enemy. So he should expect maybe a little bit of a row. Because, how, after all, he's with the enemy, but yet he's with Jesus. You know, it's kind of in a mixed group, if you will. So the next slide. And again, we see Peter here, the, the denier. He denies Christ three times. So this is us fast-forwarding a wee bit. The trial in Matthew is, is, is um, described. But we're going to look at the trial next week, okay? So I want to fast-forward to after the trial. So after the outcome... Peter was sitting in the courtyard still, okay, with the guards. This is in verse 69. And a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. The first act of the denial. No, it wasn't me. Why did you say that, Peter? But you were, and you knew you were. Why did you deny him? Because he, he messed up. He failed. Jesus knew he was going to do it. He still loves him. I, I No, no, it wasn't me. I don't even know what you're talking about. Then he went out to the gateway. Now, he, at this point, he could have probably just said, okay, this is too much for me, I'm out of here. But no, he just kind of relocated. He's by the gateway now. Where another servant girl, now some people give Peter a hard time for, you know, wimping out in front of a servant girl. I'm not going to do that. The reality is he's with a mixed group. So there's guards as well. So he, he was in a kind of a scary place, okay? So here he is. Now another servant girl comes and says to him, you know, this fellow, he was with Jesus. He was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, Peter denied it. This time with an oath. I don't know the man. So emphatically, I don't even know who he is. Again, imagine being Peter. Oh, what, 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 what's going on here? My, again, that Krasia we talked about last week. I, I want to. 
support Jesus. I'm here to support Jesus, but I'm failing at it. Why is it my flesh? I can't pull this off. I want to support him. I want to be there with him, but why am I not able to do it? Why do I keep denying him? Why do I keep succumbing to my fear? Third time, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are the one, you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore. He's all using potty language. See, someone with Jesus and use potty mouth. I'm going to use potty mouth to prove that I'm not with Jesus. You know, that's what he did here. I don't know the man. Bleep and bleep. <coughs> and then, of course, you could just see his heart breaks as he hears. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. So his heart breaks. I imagine. The regrets, disappointment. But the thing is, what do you, turn to the next one. What do you do, though? Do you give up? Jesus, I'm not good enough to be your disciple. I'm not good enough to, to, to follow you. I'm not good enough to serve you. That's it. I'm out of here. I'm going to get a job at as to pushing chopping trolleys around and I'm going to and I'm going to and people ask me about Jesus I'm going to say yeah go find a priest I'm done with it I'm done with it no more religion for me I tried but I failed I got scared I couldn't do it God is that what you do do you give up do you fail I'm, I'm no longer a Christian I'm now a well Christian bracket A I'm now a Christian bracket B you know we have to do that we have to make brackets Christian bracket A's are ones who talk about Jesus to people and Christian bracket B's they believe in him but they don't really talk to people about him so we'll make a new bracket. That's it. I want to fit in that bracket. I don't want to be the one that talks about Jesus and associates with Jesus. I want to, I want to belong to a new group of Christians that don't really, that are safe. You know, the safe Christians. I want to be a safe Christian. I want my cake and eat it too. That's, that's what I want to be. Is that what he did? Well, let's find out in a moment what he did. Well, first thing he did, he, he did feel the regret. He felt the pain. He wept bitterly. But again, remembering failure is just a part of the story. It's a part of the growing process. You fail, but is that the end? No, you fail to succeed. They're stepping stones. We talked about them. Remember all the quotes we had from last time? Failure is just a stepping stone. There's little hurdles, little bumps in the road. You use them to grow. You, I'm not going to do that again. Remember what, what Edison said? I learned, I didn't fail 10,000 times. I found out 10,000 ways not to make a light or whatever it is he was making. You know, I mean, that's it. We learn, we grow. And that's, what happened with, that's what's happening with Peter right now in our story, guys. This is not the end of Peter's story. He did not give up. What he needed was just around the corner. Literally weeks around the corner. Literally weeks. All he had his way a little bit longer. And a change, transformed, different Peter is right there. The potential's right there. Jesus knew it. But he needed the help. And this is the key difference for all of us, brothers and sisters. This is the key difference. When we do things on our own strength, we can become really frightful and fearful and do stupid things. But, but there's a key ingredient. Actually, um, next one. I thought I turned that one off. No, wait. No, come back. No, that's it. That's it. And the difference really is, is the Holy Spirit. Okay? This is Peter post-Pentecostal. Jesus promised them that they would send the power of the Holy Spirit to come to be there with them. Again, Christ was there with them. And Christ was the, the, the power source, if you will. You know, he did a lot of the healings and he tried to teach them, you know, and a lot of the ministering. He taught them to follow the ways of the Lord, you know, to embrace the kingdom of, of heaven. 
But you see, Jesus was going away, and the disciples were afraid. Jesus, you can't go away, because we need you to do, be the power source. He goes, oh, trust me, I still will be, but it's going to be different. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. You know, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan all by yourself. You're going to have the power. But the cool thing is, it's not going to be limited to my locality. It's going to be everywhere. The Holy Spirit can be anywhere. Holy Spirit's here, guys. And it's also in China. It's also in Africa. It's also in America. You know what I'm saying? But if Jesus was here, you know, he'd just, you know, he'd walk in. Hi, guys. Oh, sorry, guys. I got to leave. I didn't go to the church up the road. And you know what I'm saying? So, so see the potential of the Holy Spirit. You see? The Holy Spirit can be anywhere at any time. And so, Peter gets another chance to profess his allegiance to Christ. You see, he had a chance there at the courtyard, right, with those servant girls, but he failed. But he gets another opportunity. Now, what I left out, I left out a slide because of time. Basically, what happened is Peter um, and John, they went and they saw a fella who was there for a long time at the, uh, you know, in, at the, you know, the temple, and, and they healed him. He was lame, he was a lame beggar, you know, and they healed him. They said, you know, silver and gold, we don't have for you, but, but we're going to give you back your legs. So stand, walk. And they healed him. And people were amazed. So people are turning to Jesus left, right, and center because they're seeing the power of God, not just in Jesus, but now in his disciples. Yeah, guys, that's you and us. We're disciples. The power of God in his disciples. And they're seeing it, and they're just like, what? So people are like, I want Jesus. Jesus is real. Yeah, we know he died, but something's going on. He's not done. He's still doing something. He's doing things. And, and, he, and God's using Peter. Yeah, the failure, the one who messed up. God's used him to heal this fellow. And now the Sanhedrin, again, just like with Jesus, they didn't like Jesus, so they wanted to lock him up and put him on the cross. They're going to want to do that with him. But the problem is, again, is this God's will? God's will isn't that Peter and John, the disciples, die quite yet, just yet, because he wants to use them to birth the church. You know what I'm saying? So here's what happens the second time. So the first time, Peter before the Sanhedrin, his legs were shaken, and he, and he ran, and he, and he you know, starts swearing and being all weird. But now he's got the Holy Spirit. Look at the difference. Look at the difference when the Holy Spirit's there, guys. So starting in verse 1 of Acts 4, by the way. So we've moved a little bit. We're in Acts 4. Starting in verse 1, the priests and the captain of the temple. Very similar to the arrest of Jesus, right? The priests... You know, the captains, the temple guards, and the Sadducees, they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Again, they're telling them about Jesus. It's because of Jesus that this man's healed. It's because of Jesus that we can be saved. They're telling people about Jesus. And these, the, and these Sadducees and these priests and these people, they were so upset. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. They put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men, so basically this is just men, not counting women and children, who believed were about 5,000. So close to 10,000 maybe, if you're not counting the children and the women. So they just counted the men. It was 5,000. That's a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, great. You know, power of the resurrection, Sign us up. We believe. They believed the message. And the church is starting to grow. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. So big meeting. 
what are we going to do with these Christian folk, these Jesus followers? We killed Jesus, but they're still hanging about. What are we going to do about them? Okay, they meet to talk about these things. Ananias, the high priest, was there. And so was Caiaphas. Again, that guy Caiaphas. John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Okay, so again, here's the second chance. Now you're behind, in front of the Sanhedrin, just like Jesus was. You see, back, back then you were in the courtyard and you were afraid to come in. You couldn't even talk to the servant girls. Now you're talking to these big head honchos. What are you going to do now, Peter? But what's the difference again? Well, we're going to see what the difference is in just literally two seconds. And I think the, the profound question is right here highlighted. By what power? By what power or by what name? Did Jesus, of course, they're referring to that miracle, the healing. And they see that there's power. What is this? What's going on? By what power? By what name? And here it is, guys. And there's no surprise to us. The next slide. Absolutely no surprise to us that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was with them in a way that has never happened before. The Holy Spirit, the third person of God, came strongly upon the disciples, including Peter, and filled them with power. Look at how different he is. Before he was Peter, the coward who swore at the ladies. Now he's Peter, the courageous. You know what I'm saying? The big difference, the Holy Spirit. And again, this is just a matter of weeks. What's the big difference? He is a different person. The different person that Peter is now is a person before the Holy Spirit came upon him and filled him. Now the Holy Spirit has filled him. That's the difference, guys. You need to be filled. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter said, filled with the Holy Spirit, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how it was that he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, you all know how it is, this man? This act of kindness. First of all, did we do a crime? Or is this is kindness a crime yet? I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know. That would be a little bit cheeky, okay? But what we did was good. We were helping the guy. Okay, you want to know how we did it? Here it is. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, yeah. You know who he is, don't you? Because you killed him. Okay, look at how different he is. Before, he's like swearing at the girls and trying to run away and hide, and he's crying. Now look at him. He's like, you killed Jesus, and you know it, Saka. And it's by the power of his name that this man's healed. Big difference, isn't it? What's the difference? What's the variable that's changed the Holy Spirit in his life? You crucified him. God raised him. This man stands before you healed because of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. He has now become the cornerstone. The all important element. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven. Okay, not only does he offend the Sanhedrin, now they're offending pop culture. Pop culture then is kind of like pop culture of our century, you know, the whole pluralistic, anyway goes kind of culture. Aye, you go, all roads lead to God. As long as you're a good person and you walk the old ladies across the street, you're good in God's book. That was the culture back then as well, by the way, guys. And here Peter's going to offend them. He's being totally un-PC, if you will. So it's like us standing out in the streets today. It's very similar. 
because they had all kinds of gods. In fact, the reason why Christians got in trouble back then, ironically enough, the same reason why they get in trouble today, is because they didn't believe in many gods. They only believed in one. That's what got them in trouble, because they refused to worship the emperor. You worship Jesus, why can't you worship the emperor? It's the same. No, it's not the same. Here's the difference. You see, Jesus deserves worship. The emperor doesn't. That's the difference. Jesus is God. The emperor is not. That's the difference. And so here, he's being very un-PC by saying there's no other way to heaven. There's no other name under heaven, rather, which can give mankind salvation. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Salvation comes through Christ, Christ alone. So that's un-PC today. Yes, I know. It was just as much un-PC back then. But it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to say that. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't say it. You're like, oh, duh, 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 whatever. No, we don't want to say, oh, duh, 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 whatever. We want to be very clear in the message. And the message is this. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Nothing's changed with that respect, guys. When they saw, and here's a beautiful thing, guys. I know I'm going over, oh, I'm such a bad man. When they saw this, I love this. Look at what they're looking at. They're looking at, first of all, the courage. Remember, he used to be a coward. The courage of Peter and John. What is going on with these guys? They're so brave. But it's not just that. They also realize they're unschooled. Again, these guys who are investigating them are the school, the Pharisees, the honchos, the smarty pants. But look at Jesus chose. So again, why do you choose unschooled fishermen, these simpletons? Because you know why? God likes to use people like you and I. That's why. He I think this is a very profound message. Simple, ordinary people can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Simple, ordinary people should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter in his own strength, yeah, he just makes a big mess out of it and starts swearing to ladies and starts being weird. However, when he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he does amazing things. He's courageous. He's bold. He's able to do things that he can't ordinarily do. He's not smart enough. He's not strong enough. But with the Holy Spirit, he is just right. He's just strong enough. With the Holy Spirit, he is just smart enough to say what he needs to say, to do what he needs to do. You see how important the Holy Spirit is, guys? They were unschooled. How is it they can do this? Because they don't need a school. They don't need seminary. They need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is there. So they were astonished. Last slide, please. So things can change, guys. Um, at certain points in our life, we might identify more with the pre-Pentecostal Peter, Maybe other times we feel more like we understand the post-Pentecostal Peter. We've probably been on both sides, probably throughout our whole lives at various times. Because there's lots of aspects of life that we need to grow. It's not just like, okay, that's it, I've achieved it. A lot of times we have to re re return to the fundamentals, if you will. And remember, oh, I'm dealing with another problem. What do I do? Oh, the flesh ain't working. Yeah, you're right, the flesh ain't working. You need the Holy Spirit. So throughout our lives, even as Christians, we need to return to the basics. Are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Are we trusting in Him? Is it His will or is it our will that we're following? Well, we can grow beyond personal failure because of the cross of Christ, because of the active work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. So we shouldn't fear failure. We should fear apathy. The reason I put apathy is because I was going to say fear fear. But really, what does that do when you fear fear? You start checking out. Well, I can't do it. It's too much for me, so I'm just going to not do anything. I'm just going to check out. And then what you have to do psychologically is you have to numb yourself. 
And that's where apathy and mediocrity comes from. I can't do that, Scott. I can't do these things. So you start justifying it. And then you start numbing your conscience, numbing your mind. Oh, it's somebody else too. That's for the priests and the pastors. And stuff like that. I can't do that. No, 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 no. But, you know, like Peter probably could have done, you know, but he didn't. His heart, he wept bitterly. God, please change me, God. I don't want to be apathetic. I won't want to fear fear. I don't want to be mediocre. Please, God, how are you going to change me? How are you going to use me? The Holy Spirit. Just wait, Peter. Just a few weeks. Just wait. Just wait. I'm, I'm going to bring your, your solution in just a moment. So I'm going to end with this verse. Now this verse actually is written, it's a messianic verse written to Jesus, about Jesus, okay, about the Spirit of the Lord being on the Messiah. But look at how the Messiah ministered to people like you and I, the brokenhearted, the poor, you know, the failures, the mess-ups. Look what he's done, how he changes lives. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now, when you read, I think a tendency is to be like, that's me. I need to preach the good news of the poor. But the reality is, you're the poor. <laughs> the good news has come to you guys. The good news has come to us because of Jesus Christ. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's us, guys. We're the brokenhearted that he's healed. To proclaim freedom to the captives and the release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty. That's us, guys. We get a crown of beauty in replacement of ashes, regret, remorse. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Do you feel like a spirit of despair has overwhelmed you? Well, know that Christ has come with the spirit of the sovereign Lord, okay, to heal these things. How does he do it? How is it possible that God can heal us from these things, from mourning, from ashes, from despair? Because the spirit of the sovereign Lord, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, he's still active, he's still available, he's still there, guys. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting, a Lord, for the display of his splendor. Do you feel that way, an oak of righteousness? Do you feel like that, like you've been planted by the Lord for his honor, for his display, for his, for his splendor? Because he can do that. He wants to do that. Okay.